Welcome to Curious Psalms, a podcast where we practice reading and praying this wonderful prayer book of God's people. I'm your host, Matt, and returning today to discuss Psalm 13, we have Dr. Libby Backfish. Libby is an assistant professor of Bible and theology at William Jessup University, and her PhD actually focused on the Psalms, so I am way underqualified to have a conversation with her, but she's gracious enough to do so anyway. You've hopefully already had the gift of listening to her passion and love for the Psalms in our episode on Psalm 3, but even if you haven't, I promise you can look forward to listening to that same passion here. So let's get going. Here's Libby reading Psalm 13. Psalm 13, for the director of music, a Psalm of David. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts? and day after day have sorrow in my heart. How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes, or I will sleep in death, and my enemy will say, I have overcome him, and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. Libby, welcome back to Curious Psalms. Thanks so much, Matt. It's wonderful to be back. Well, it is a pleasure to have you. And I was thinking, you know, here we are. We're recording this in the new year. 2021 is just young. And what just a wonderful psalm to kick off a new year, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Well, I did tease you. I thought maybe you just keep having me come back for these lament psalms because I'm really good at complaining. (laughs) I'll try not to read too much into that. No, unfortunately, it's more just a, it's the nature of the rhythm of scheduling and when things happen. I promise it's not because I think you're a world-class complainer and can really help us get inside the head of someone who's having a hard time. But I'm grateful, regardless of the tone of the psalm, to get to talk to you about this one. And Psalm 13, I'll put kind of cards on the table. For reasons that I can't remember, I've memorized this psalm. So it's one I've spent time with, but don't feel like I've necessarily explored these particular questions with. So I'm really excited to get uh, some of your perspective on the psalm, even just for myself. So let's dive into our three questions that we always have. Libby, let's start with this. What stood out to you in reading this psalm? Yeah, so uh, quite a lot, but I'm going to try to narrow it down to just a couple things. One, we see this repetition, how long, how long, how Mm. long, how long, and it's repeated four times which might not seem too spectacular because we read that in other Psalms. We saw it recently in Psalm 4, if your listeners were here for that one. But it was only two times repeated in Psalm 4. It's repeated two times in Psalm 74 and three times in Psalm 94. Any other time we Hmm. see it, it's by itself. So this is by far the most times we see that all piled together for a relatively short Psalm. It's only six verses in the English. So, So that struck me, just the emphasis and the, you know, kind of persistence of that cry. And then also what struck me is we see the word heart two times. We see it in verse three and we see it in verse six. So verse three, you know, how long will I set counsel in my, in my soul and sorrow in my heart daily? 
really describing the depression, the worry, the anxiety that the psalmist is suffering, which is typical in a lament. But then down in verse six, it mentions heart again. But for me, as for me in your steadfast love, I have trusted my heart rejoices in your salvation. So I think what struck me is seeing those two emotions of depression and joy held together within the same psalm. And that's one of the things I love so much about these laments is how the psalmist can can be in this depths of despair, as Anne of Green Gables used to describe it, if any of our <laughs> listeners like that, and just have anxiety and worry, something where a lot of us are facing right now, and yet still have joy. And I think there's a movement in the psalm from depression to joy, but I also think that those two things are being held together. So that struck yeah. me, and that might be a stage of life that I'm in, or COVID or whatever, but that, that really struck me, that phenomenon. Oh, that's beautiful. Olivia, what I love, you know, here you are, I'll use these words, world-class psalm scholar. And you point and you give us the breadth of the psalms, which I think is so helpful, pointing us to these other places where how long. But also what you're doing is just a close reading of the text. I think you're so right. These get us, well, pun intended, they get us to the heart of the psalm, <laughs> these repetitions, right? Yeah, I was struck by just the the kind of emotional depth, really. And it it's not shocking to experience and encounter emotional depth in the psalm. But this, how long will you hide your face from me? That that phrase in particular, I think personally, I'm just fascinated by language of the face of God and the idea of the vision of God. There's, I think, multiple things happening in that, but it, there is such an intimacy, right? There's something beautifully presumptive of David here in the psalm to assume that he should be seeing the face of God and the face of God has been hidden from him. And so there's this relationality, right, that out of this longing comes, there's, there's something being missed. And that really struck me as I as I read, even just, you know, that's, that's in verse one for us. So yeah, and it's a progression of, you know, this metaphor, obviously, God doesn't have a face until we see it in Jesus, right, but mm -hmm. uses this metaphor for us to really feel this relationship that David feels he's lacking. And it progresses from verse two, feeling like God has forgotten him, like maybe just God has other things to do to more of an active, <laughs> to more of an active, the second part of verse two, how long will you hide your face from me? It's not just that God, yeah. he feels like God's forgotten, but he's actively not responding in the way that he feels like he should. And, mm. and then moving on to that more emotional setting counsel in my soul, which really describing the worry. I imagine lying awake at night, just worrying about what's happening, you know, counseling our soul, not kind of trying to talk to ourselves about the troubles of life and what to do about them. Yeah. And there's even, I mean, there's even sort of a kind of bargaining here, which I think we see at times in the Old Testament. I think of when when God is done with the people of Israel and Moses comes and prays on behalf of the people and it's like, remember your name, remember you're the one associated with these people, right? Yeah. And there's even a little bit of that in verse four. There's like, you know, unless unless you answer me, God, my enemy will say mm. I've overcome him. You don't want that to happen. Sure. This is how bad things are. Mm -hmm. Right. So there's yeah. all these things. There's sort of, yeah, there's a despondency. There's a bargaining. There's almost stages of grief, <laughs> we could say, that yeah. you see happening in this psalm. Let's move on to our second question, because I want to hear, we've started talking around this, I think, a little bit. But I'm curious what you think. What do we learn about God from this psalm? 
Yeah, I think we learn a lot. Just the nature of it being a lament psalm, we learn that God is a God who can hear lament, who can who who wants us to put our trust in him in this kind of really real vulnerable way. But what struck me in this reading and um and like you mentioned before, this is just these are just reflections I gleaned from a close reading. I didn't dig into the commentaries yeah. at least initially. In, in his statement of trust, because first he has his complaint, and then he has a petition, then he has a trust. He says in verse 6, But as for me, in your steadfast love I have trusted, and my heart rejoices in your salvation. And those are two words, steadfast love and salvation, that are just so theologically loaded. And mm-hmm. I think they teach us a lot about who God is, because they're very often paired in Psalms and in prophets, mm-hmm. and just throughout the Old Testament. So that's something that that I personally reflected on when I was reading and praying this psalm. Steadfast love being something that's very active in the Bible, not just the feeling that God has for us, though it includes that. And and it's also not just a feeling that we are to reciprocate for God, though it would include that. It's more the actions that are commensurate with that feeling. It's the loyalty. It's the commitment. It's on our part, it's the worship. On God's part, it's the, the things that he does because he's our God. He protects us. He saves us, so forth. And then salvation also being not only spiritual, though it certainly includes that and that's foundational, but also a holistic care for our whole well-being. So those are the two things we learn about God, especially from this psalm, I would say. The, the steadfast love, the chesed, as it is in Hebrew, and the salvation, the Yeshua. I really appreciate what you're saying about how active these things are, because there is... I think there's a temptation. We read it through our own lens. So we read the word love and it's like, oh, okay, this happy feeling that we have. And even we read salvation and through a particular lens that can feel escapist or just about our souls or something like that. And so the psalmist is praying something deeper, is praying a whole action of God in the world. And even as I was prepping and thinking about it, even going back to that, how long will you hide your face from me? Like part of what's happening there is likely not just a relational separation, which is how I intuitively read it in my sort of 21st century relational paradigm. But it's also the fact when God sees someone, seeing is tied with action. God doesn't see and not act. And so the hiding the face is actually is actually a lack of action, not just sort of, oh, we're playing peekaboo and I miss, I miss seeing you or something like that. So that's super yeah. helpful, Libby. Absolutely. I think... That's just a recurring thing that is valuable for us to remember as we encounter these psalms is that the psalmists do not have in mind that they are just sent, shooting up prayers to a God who is far away and not involved. They are praying to someone who is invested uh, in their lives and invested in their world and they're longing for action, like concrete action to take place. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that's also part of our response in this covenant relationship, right? Is Mm. we're not just called to love God in some emotional sense. Sometimes, you know, at various points in our faith journey, we're not going to necessarily feel that emotional love. We're called to love God in ways that will show the love. And that's why Israel loved the law so much. It was a way to show their love for God. It was a way to, you know, the way you show your love to Rachel Sometimes it's in the emotions, but sometimes it's in doing the dishes and in waking up with Oliver in the middle of the night. And those are ways to show love. So I I think that's so important, especially when we're thinking about when we pray laments in hard times. Sometimes it's more important that our actions are, are commensurate with the love, you know, that we're flowing from what love should be. And then our emotions will often follow, if that makes sense. Yeah. 
It makes total sense. I think maybe that leads us really nicely into our last question, actually, when we think about this psalm. How does this psalm help us to pray? Yeah, Herman Gunkel called it the model prayer psalm, which maybe it's good that you memorized it. (laughs) (laughs) But it it has the perfect components of all the lament elements of a psalm. So a couple things that struck me is that that relentlessness of how long, how long, how long, O Lord, just reminds me of how God invites us to kind of be almost nagging in our pursuit of him, <laughs> you know? And I think, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like that's okay. <laughs> in fact, Jesus <laughs> said it was okay too in the parable right. of the persistent widow. So this Psalm encouraged me to revisit that parable. And it's very short. If I could maybe take a moment to read it, would that be okay? <laughs> I, I think it's like, uh, it's forbidden as a podcast host to deny a parable to be read <laughs> All right, <laughs> on the good, podcast good. about the Bible. <laughs> Please, Libby. All right. So Luke 18, Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused. But finally, he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? So if this unjust judge is going to grant this widow justice just because she nagged him, how much more will our just and compassionate God answer our prayers when we're persistent? So it encourages me to pray persistently with our requests and our needs and that he will listen, yeah. that he will He will respond. Libby, I, I'm curious, this is a, maybe a, moving our conversation in a bit of a personal direction, but just as I think about persistence, I think kind of persistence in prayer for a lot of us, I'll speak for myself certainly and include myself in the in this group. It's a hard thing, especially when we feel like we're praying for change or praying for some kind of action that feels elusive. I mean, the the reason you would be persistent in prayer is because you haven't quite experienced what you're praying mm. for, right? Mm, yeah. And so I'm I'm just wondering, I'd be curious, you know, reflecting on both that parable and then this psalm, what kind of emotional resources do we need to draw on or what aspects of our faith do we need to draw on to be persistent in prayer? I'd be curious just if you have any reflections on that. Yeah, and I think everyone's different. I mean, I find it easier to pray or to to have patterns of prayer when there's something that I need to be persistently asking for. It's it's the moments where everything seems to be going okay that I need to remind myself to pray. But I think the core of it either either way is a discipline spiritual discipline so having patterns hmm. and habits in our lives and Matt I know that in some of the new members classes you've talked about habits and forming those spiritual disciplines yeah. of of habit and how even our uh, church services are meant to form and shape us in these habits so daily whether it's morning prayer throughout the day chiseling out time evening prayer we have prayer time as a family and then I have prayer time individually and there's just ways to shape us because it's often in the times when we feel like we don't need to pray or we're just disillusioned because we've already asked so many times and our circumstances don't seem to change that I think creating habits is is the most important part of developing a healthy persistent prayer life 
I think that ties back beautifully with what you were talking about earlier in terms of, you know, threading this needle of sometimes our emotions follow what we're doing, right? Mm -hmm. We, as we respond to God in loving action, sometimes the sort of experience of love actually follows the faithful action. And I think even as I was reading this prayer, and this goes back to us talking about this joy and lament, and the fact that both are here, there's maybe a temptation to sort of say, oh, by by verse five and six, the psalmist has just resolved all the tensions Mm. of the earlier verses. And I mean, for any human experience, we know that's nonsense. Like someone right. doesn't move through, doesn't <laughs> yeah. move through these things that quickly. We don't do that. Yeah. And so really, and, and I was thinking about verse five, the language of trust here, but I trust in your steadfast love or your unfailing love. And you know, the language is not, but I wholeheartedly feel with every part of my being. It's I trust, I'm throwing myself on you, so to speak, because you are a covenant in God because of what you have said. And even... You know, who knows how my feelings are swirling. My my heart maybe has a moment of rejoicing here, but I had sorrow in my heart just a few verses earlier. Mm-hmm. But I'm sort of throwing myself upon you, and that's where I can land in the psalm. I just appreciate how we how this psalm helps us pull all those together. And then habits, like you're saying, these formative habits, these formative things we do, allow us, we, we can bring our full emotional selves. We can bring the parts of us, because often there are parts of us that are lamenting and there's parts of us that want to rejoice. Every day feels like it has both of these things. And the Psalms just allow us, when they are a part of our habits, they allow us to bring both of those all the time. Yeah, and, and that's another thing I've really been reflecting on is that the, the feelings of depression and anxiety, while intertwined with those feelings of rejoicing. And so personally for me, I've, I've not struggled with depression very much in my life at all. But the time in my life when I probably should have had the most joy, when my kids were very, very little babies, I also, Mm. for the first time, struggled with anxiety and depression. And Mm. I didn't know that that's actually a pretty common struggle for mothers. And they feel very guilty about it because here they have this greatest gift from God. This is the best time of their life. And yet there's these emotional things happening at the same time. And it makes it even harder to kind of grapple with those when you're feeling the guilt over the depression, you know. And I know many pastors have likewise had the joy and the depression and they feel guilty about that depression because they're they're proclaiming God's word. They're pastoring God's people. They should feel nothing but joy. And so I think this psalm just invites us into this life of David, a spiritual giant who could struggle with both simultaneously and bring these things to God in a way that's just very real and exposes a part of human nature that, that we're not alone in. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that Libby from yourself. And I think that is a beautiful final word for Psalm 13. So thanks so much for taking the time and sharing your own reflections, both personally and on the psalm. really means a lot both to me, and I know uh, the listeners will have enjoyed this conversation too. Well, thank you so much, Matt. It's always a pleasure to be on your podcast. Well, let's end with these words from Psalm 13, these last two verses that hold the trust and the joy. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. Friends, go out and pray the Psalms. Awesome. <laughs> All right. I forgot. I forgot to push record. Just kidding. Oh, so funny. So funny. <laughs>